Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Paul was in that school of Tyrannus, Acts 19.10, for two years there in Ephesus, so that all who lived in Asia, and this is Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Isn't it amazing? Luke says, as Paul discipled people, all of Asia Minor began to hear the gospel. You know, there's a principle here. Let me share it quickly with you. When you spend your time as a teacher making disciples, they are going to impact their world. If you make ministry about shallow, surfacey stuff, then those are the Christians you're going to send out into the world. They're going to go back to their workplace, their homes, the regions that they live, and they're going to be shallow believers. But if you ground, if if you make disciples, they're going to go and they're going to change their world. And the evidence is Paul never left Ephesus. But what he was doing in Ephesus was radiating all over Asia Minor. That's why we do what we do here. Because we believe that this is a holy huddle where we come together, you get equipped to go out and change your world. Amen? To make disciples of all the nations. And so there's Paul. And this area of the world, by the way, is addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. And we know at least seven churches were born in Asia Minor. The churches are addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. Areas like Heropolis, Laodicea, Philadelphia, all in this region of Asia Minor, all probably birthed because of Paul's work of discipleship in this little makeshift Bible college. And so people were hearing the word of the Lord, Jew and Gentile, and God, 11, was performing extraordinary miracles. Now, aren't miracles already extraordinary? (laughs) What made them extraordinary miracles? Well, number one, they were by the hands of Paul, so it would appear that Paul was laying hands on some people and they were getting healed or being delivered. But notice, here's the extraordinary, verse 12. So that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. And you say, what was the handkerchief? I mean, I don't want the image of Paul pulling the hanky out and... And somehow that was sanctified. Is that... What's going on here, Pastor Michael? Have you seen those athletes? You know, they, they play a full game sweating in their sweatbands, and then they throw their sweatbands up to their fans. Oh, God, the sweat of my favorite athlete! What's wrong with you? I would be ducking, not trying to catch that. And as a matter of fact, since Paul was a tent maker, and we know he was working hard during this crazy schedule he had, the handkerchiefs is actually Paul's sweatbands. Uh, apron may have been something he wore during work, and the handkerchiefs may have been things that he wore on his hands or even around his brow. And so he would discard them and the people would take them, they would bring them to the sick and somehow God was using that to bring extraordinary miracles to people's lives. Now you say, well, what? Why? Well, there there was a lot of superstition in this day and age and people even thought that different articles of clothing and things like this could have magic powers. So God said, in essence, they don't have magic powers, but if you want to know who the real guy is who's speaking the truth, it's Paul. And God was doing extraordinary miracles. Now, some of you have heard of the quote-unquote evangelists who are on television or the internet, and they have their sanctified handkerchief. Have you heard of it? They take the hanky, and they, some of them are allegedly dipped in the Jordan. 
And for the small price of 19.99, the evangelist has prayed over it, dipped it in the Jordan. I don't know if it's the real Jordan or not. And he's going to send you this. And one guy even has the green prosperity hanky. It's colored green because when you get it, you're going to be prosperous. So you take your green hanky for the small price of 19.99 to his ministry, by the way. Then you're going to be... And then another guy has a red handkerchief. And look, these are extraordinary miracles. This is not typical. God did this for this culture to get their attention. Now, God can do anything. I'm not going to box God, but, but you just got to be careful when it's send this money to this guy's ministry. I even heard one Christian author say that one guy had a ministry where it was a sock. It wasn't a handkerchief. It was a sock. And he sold one sock, not two. I don't know why, but it was only one sock. And if you put the sock on at night for the small price of $15, you would get special dreams and visions when you had the sock on because the sock was really tight. It cut off your circulation. (laughs) So you get special dreams and visions. Anyways, yes. But God was doing extraordinary miracles. Diseases were leaving people. Evil spirits were going out. Whenever you see a lot of sorcery, you're going to see a lot of demonic possession cases or people harassed uh, by spirits and that kind of thing. So here's God working in a wonderful way in this uh, particular city, really invaded with a lot of spiritism and so forth. So when this kind of stuff happens, people tend to jump on the bandwagon. So look at verse 13. So also some of the Jewish exorcists, the word exorcist is one who binds an oath and there, they were, there were people who claimed to be exorcists and because the city was such a hotbed of sorcery, there were all these people who needed to be delivered. So some people were in the business. They had a business card. I'm an exorcist. If you need me, call. If you, you're hearing bumps in the night, call me kind of thing. So there were some Jewish exorcists who went out from place to place, who went from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. And they said... I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now these, these particular exorcists in this day and age were called syncretists. Now what's a syncretist? A syncretist is someone who tries to sync together various religions and kind of meld them all together. So the exorcists were known for naming long lists of deities, so-called, or spirits, and when they hit the spirit that was powerful for that situation, they would just name a bunch of gods and goddesses off. Uh, in the name of this god, in the name of this goddess, I adjure you to come out. Well, they heard that incredible things were happening through Paul, even through some of his clothing. So they said, aha, you know what? This week, boys, we got a new plan. We're just going to stick with this name of Jesus because it seems to have power. And so they said, they came across a case and they say, said, I adjure you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. These magical texts have been preserved. They've been found in some excavations. As a matter of fact, in Paris, there is a magical text that reads, I adjure you by the God of the Hebrews, Jesus. We actually have that in a library. And so these guys were seven sons of one Sceva. He was a Jewish chief priest. There's no evidence in history of him being a chief priest. He may have been a, a false guy who claimed to be, you know, like somebody claiming to be a doctor, may have been from a high priestly family. We don't know for sure. But his seven sons of Sceva were doing this. So they were going around and they were trying to employ the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, you come out, you wicked spirit. And the evil spirit, 15, answered. It's always inconvenient when evil spirits... 
call your bluff. You know? You think you have power, right? We've arrived. I don't know if you knew who we are. We're the seven sons. Excuse me, Seven. Number of perfection. Completion. You know? Hey, hey. We got it going on. And so they tried to use a formula. And the evil spirit, New King James, answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? That's when, as an exorcist, you take a big gulp. Gulp? Who are you? Or, who do you think you are? Now, John MacArthur uh, said that he came across an exorcism case and uh, he walked into the room and people were trying to deal with this individual and the person who was allegedly possessed turned to MacArthur and said, Get him out of here! Scary. <laughs> right? Seemed to know. Now, you may have some disagreements with MacArthur on some things, but you know what? John MacArthur is a solid Bible teacher, a genuine Christian. He walked into the room and apparently this person who was possessed knew who he was and wanted him to go. Well, in this case, 15, the evil spirit says, I know Jesus. And remember the demons would say, what do I have to do with you, son of God? They knew who he was. I know Paul. But who are you? And notice what happened. And the man, 16, in whom was the evil spirit, I'd love to have film footage of this verse, leaped on them and subdued all of them, there's seven of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked, wounded, the NIV says, bleeding. The seven sons of Sceva, <laughs> apparently before they could get the words out, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, lefts and rights were coming, and I don't know what happened, but the demonic uh, influence uh, cases or possession cases, there seems to be supernatural power in some cases, and he subdued all seven of them and tore their clothes off of them, and they went, could you see the film footage, News at 11, running out of the house, seven sons of Sceva, <laughs> right? Just pounded by this guy with the evil spirit. And so they flee out. Why are they naked? Why has he ripped their clothing off of them? I think there's something interesting to consider here. Think, take it into the realm of the spirit. If you don't have Jesus... You're not clothed with his power. These guys were trying to add Jesus for convenience and money. Hmm. I don't think anybody does that in our world. I don't think anybody who doesn't really have a vital living relationship with Jesus actually tries to use his name in certain cases when they're in deep trouble or it can profit them. Hmm. And so they said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, and the demon said, well, one thing I know, you don't have Jesus. And so I'm going to pound you. And he did. And they were naked. And I think their nakedness is a picture of unbelievers, uh, people who try to um, use Jesus' name when they need him and then say, see you later, God. I'd like Jesus now. I'd like to be able to pull the lever of the candy machine in the sky. Jesus, I'm in financial trouble. Help. Jesus, there seems to be a dark influence in my life. Help. And if he does do something by his grace or they sense that something was done, see you later, Jesus. I'll call you next time I need you. Next time I need to employ your name for the audience that might appreciate me throwing in Jesus. Yeah. And so notice what happens now. When the city heard this, when the people in the city heard this, 
This became known to all 17, both Jews and Greeks. Remember how the word was spreading who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Now, why do you think everybody got fearful? Because I think people said, hey, I know those seven sons of Sceva and they have a thriving business and they seem to have power and authority and they got beat up and they tried to use the name of Jesus falsely because they didn't know him and people got fearful. People were already in fear in this city but now people were fearing that, wow, if this was what happened to the exorcists, the professionals, we have no covering at all. What are we going to do? Well, the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. See, people were starting to see the real power, the real kingdom of light, and they were coming. 18 says, Many also of those who had believed kept coming, present tense, confessing and disclosing their practices. You see, people were starting to get serious about God. They saw power on the evil side, and they said, You know what? If that's the power of evil, I'm going to get saved. We had an elder on our elder board one night. We were... We were doing uh, testimonies. We had a quiet elder. He would always wait till the end to say something. He was wise, but he kind of a quiet guy. We all shared our testimonies of how we came to Christ. And a lot of typical testimonies. We're in the world. We're partying. God saved us by his grace. Wonderful. And Brian says, well, uh, here's what happened to me. Me and a buddy of mine went out and smoked some pot. We came home. We were teenagers in high school. We came home and my mom was sitting with a medium and she was in a seance. So we decided to join. It was his house. So they sat down at the kitchen table. There were several people at the table. He said, we sat down and we began to hold the people's hands next to us and we started hearing knocking sounds under the table. He said, I looked up. Everybody's hands were above the table and then lights were flashing in my hallway and he said, look, I knew the house wasn't wired. I lived there and this stuff was going. He said, all of a sudden, the table lifted up off the, the ground in the kitchen moved four feet and pinned the medium against the wall. And Brian said, me and my buddy ran out of there, ran to a church and became Christians. And we were all like, Brian, really? We never knew. He said, yeah. We figured if evil was that powerful, we're going to run to Jesus. You ever been sobered up in a moment where you knew you were dabbling with something that was filled with power that you didn't want to mess with? A brother came up to me after first service. He said he was witnessing to a co-worker. The co-worker was interested in the things of God, and so they began to meet with lunch, for lunch, and, and he was discipling the co-worker many days in a row. The guy had a great hunger for the Bible, and he was growing in his faith, and so one day he called up this brother in the church, and he said, look, I've been growing. I want you to come over. I want to show you something. So the brother went over to his house, and he took him into the garage, and he opened a drawer that had pot in it and some other drugs, And he said, look, I've been holding on to this as my backup stash. I want to get rid of it. I want to get serious with God. And so together they threw the pot in the trash can and they prayed and this guy left and then he he called back and he said to his newfound friend in Christ, when's trash day? And the guy said, it's in two days. Two days. You see, even though he threw it away, it was still there. And there were people in Ephesus who had believed, but they were keeping their stash close by. There are Christians today who have believed, but they still have stuff in the closet 
that they haven't gotten rid of. And, you know, if you do that, let me just share something that I think is painfully obvious. You're just playing a game. If you put something away to save it for the next time you sin, then you haven't truly repented. What you're doing is you're playing a game. It would be like if your doctor told you, you need to get uh, cookies and cream ice cream out of your life. You've got to lose 20 pounds. And you go over to Rite Aid and you buy the big gallon of cookies and cream and you put it in your freezer. And every time you walk by the freezer, oh God, help me. Look, you're playing a game, man. Uh, nothing against Rite Aid, but just don't go buy the ice cream in the first place. Okay, You're free in Christ. I'm not saying you shouldn't eat ice cream. You know what I'm saying. Anyway, so many of those who had believed kept coming. And here's the, I think, the step to repentance that a lot of us need to see. They were confessing and disclosing their practices. Now, if you decide to do that, I would find somebody safe to do that with. I don't think that you need to stand up and broadcast your sin to 200 people. But I think this step shows that you're serious Many of those who had practiced magic or sorcery brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. You see, it, they, they said, you know what, we're not going to live in two worlds anymore. We're not going to play any more games. And it was fear that drove them. And they brought them and they burned the books in the sight of them all. They counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. I was reading one commentary that said, roughly equivalent to $50,000 of books in our economy. If you decide to get serious about God, you may have to burn some things, whether literally or metaphorically speaking. I know we live in a computer age now, and so you may not need to burn a physical book. But if you're going to be serious about God, you may need to burn some things. Now listen to this. The word for repent in the Hebrew picture language Here's the picture. The word is shuv, S-H-O-O-V, or shub, S-H-U-B. And the word literally means to burn the house. And here's the image. Ancient armies would go into a city. They would, win, they would take the city. They would take captives out of it, prisoners of war. They would take them up to the brow of a hill, have them look back on their city, and they would burn their village to show them that they had nothing to go back to. That's the word in the Bible for repent. It literally means to burn the house or, put it this way in our text, burn the things that are stumbling you so you can't go back to them. It's pretty inconvenient when it happens because you realize that thing you've been hanging on to is gone. But when you decide to remove it, if it's a sin that is easily entangling you and keeping you from running the race as free as you could, why do you hold on to it? I'll tell you this as a Christian It's been a lifelong battle for me when God's confronted me on certain things and said, Michael, I want that to go. And look, it's, I'll say this to you with a heart of compassion. It can be a wrestling match. It can take time. But the more we hold on to that which stumbles us, we're just hurting ourselves. And there will be a cost, but are you willing to pay it so that you might live a holy life for Christ? I've had some people tell me that they've come across old um, CDs and movies and And I'm not saying this in a legalistic way, but some people have decided that, you know what, that stuff needs to go. So you give it to a good friend, you know, and just get it out of your life, give it to them. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Give it to a not-so-good friend. 
That's what you should do. I'm just kidding. Anyway, okay. But, <laughs> but the junk does need to go, you guys. And I think when it goes, we find that God gives us something a thousand times better anyway, and we hold on to the stuff, and God says, you know what? Do you want to grow? Then have it go. And so the word of the Lord, 20, final verse, was growing mightily and prevailing. You see, when we deal with our sin and we get serious with God, inevitably there's mighty growth in the prevailing of God's ways in our lives. Go to Psalm 1 and we're done. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Psalm chapter 1. I want to leave you with this psalm this morning and I want to ask you if God is speaking to you, how you might respond. Look at Psalm 1. Here's what it says. Psalm 1, verse 1. How blessed is the man, and you could add, or the woman, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, Psalm 1, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord, or the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like, here's the image, a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we want to be people who are blessed. And we want to be like that tree, firmly planted, deep roots, not having things wither or scorch or harden. Rather, we want to see fruit. And we know the secret. It's very plain. You've told us to stay close to your word and invest in the things of God. Just keep your head and heart bowed. If you're not a Christian today, then you are like those seven sons of Sceva. You're naked and unclothed and powerless really before the enemy. But Jesus wants to clothe you with his righteousness, just like he did back in the garden for Adam and Eve. He clothed them, a picture of the gospel. You need to come to know him right now. Don't play games with God. And it's something like this. If it's you, just say this prayer out loud. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead. I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Please change me from the inside out and help me to come to you in honesty and repentance. Maybe you're a Christian here and you've been living in two worlds. Maybe even dabbling with the occult. Trying to push that veil that God said don't push. Maybe you've experienced some consequences. Right now God would want to touch you and heal you. He'd want his word to prevail in your life. So if it's you, then in your heart, turn from those things. Come back to him. If you're a prodigal son or daughter, Come back to him. He wants to bless you. He wants you to experience fruit. And if you're a believer here today and you've just been fighting that good fight, I pray that the Lord will encourage you that there will be a breakthrough in the lives that you've been praying over and wrestling for in prayer. Lord, may you encourage that saint that's been 
seeking you and even beating the gates of heaven for a loved one. Uh, I pray that you would be merciful and save that person and that person would come to their senses. Thank you that in the story of the prodigal, you scan the horizon for lost people and you don't condemn them. You hug them, you welcome them, and and you throw a party. And I pray that that encouraging truth would cause us to want to run to you and know we will find the open arms of a loving God who's been waiting for us all along. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. People are going to say on that day, Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name, that in your name? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you who work iniquity. I, here's the key, I never knew you. Not, I knew you at one time and I don't anymore. Not, I sort of know you. No, I, listen, I never knew you. There was never a relationship. Judas is a good example of a man who went out, they went out two by two. They had power. It would seem that things happened. Uh, under the name and the power of Christ, even perhaps through Judas. And yet, Judas didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you know, you can appeal to the name of Jesus and try to maybe deal with dark situations and you might find yourself in big trouble. The key is to know Jesus. See, if you know Jesus, then you're going to have his authority and power. And then, of course, you're going to have know the right way to use it and what to, what to do with that and to follow the Bible. So this is a case where it's, it's, a, it's kind of a scary case, really, where you can make an appeal. Now you say, well, if I cry to the name of Jesus, would he be there for me? Well, if you're an unbeliever and you're crying out for him to save you, then he will respond to that prayer. He, won't, he will no wise cast out those who call upon him, those who come to him by faith. But that's the first step you must take as an unbeliever. You must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no one else who can save you. He made the claim. It's not my claim. It's his. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one is coming to the Father except through me. Those are the words of Jesus. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. Those are the words of Jesus. Trust him today, my friend. You know, God's not... uh, trying to be capricious or or hiding from you. He's told you what the way is. Don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let people who try to tell you, oh, there's many roads that are going to get you to heaven. No, there's only one way. Jesus is the way. He is the way. Trust in him today. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.